Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Welcome, everybody. I have Jen Padilla. I'm saying your name right, correct? Yes. Yes. Like okay. Padilla, the two L's are silent. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you, Jen. You have such an extensive dance background as a former NBA dancer, NFL cheerleader, and you are a host of your very own podcast that you just launched called Life Unfiltered. And I just want to welcome you to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast and thank you in advance for joining us. I'm just so excited to uh, chat more with you. <laughs> Tell us a little Thank bit about you. yourself. I think you said it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. So I'm so happy to be on this. Um, I think what you've been doing is so powerful and so informative and in giving this whole world a voice and kind of like a sneak peek behind the curtains of like what really goes on um, but about me, I mean, you kind of said it. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I've danced for the Celtics. I've danced for the Lakers. I've also danced for the Rams. So like you said, I have NBA and NFL under my belt. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been dancing since I was a kid. Yeah, I'm also a fitness instructor, or I would like to say a professional fitness expert at this point. I've been in the game okay. for a while. Uh, so I do train uh, private clients. So I have my own personal training business. And then I teach classes um, at Equinox in my local communities, uh, Santa Monica, Marina del Rey areas. And that's really rewarding to be in touch with those members. They're just great. And um, yeah, it did start my new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will get more into your podcast later, but I appreciate you kind of sharing your, your dance training and background. Did you also dance in college? No, funny story. Um, (laughs) So I started dancing, I started a little bit later than normal. I think it was like seven or eight. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was something that was very natural for me. Um, I did play sports my whole life. So the the coordination was there. And like I said, weirdly, dance was so natural. And then I danced through high school. I did cheer for one year because my high school did not have a dance program until my sophomore year. We were pretty good. And we were a co-ed team. So when we got men on our NFL team with the Rams, like it was normal for me because mm-hmm, I had mm-hmm. experienced that in high school. Um, and then college, I did not dance in college just because I wasn't a big fan of the program at the college that I went to. Mm-hmm. And then I actually made the move to Boston. <laughs> Because I was going to ask how that came into play from going from LA all the way out there. So you might as well talk about it now. (laughs) Yeah, we'll just, yeah, we're right there. So so I grew up in Los Angeles. So Lakers has been, you know, my household. We grew up with Kobe Bryant. Like that was our guy. And then, you know, Michael Jordan was like my older brother's generation. But Lakers, Mm -hmm. Kobe, that was our life in our, my family's household. So I remember going to a Laker game and seeing the Laker girls and I was like, oh, like I could do that. And 
that looks amazing and it's for the Lakers and I would make my family so proud. I would represent our hometown. And I had worked with Mina Ortega. She used to Mm -hmm. choreograph for my high school dance team. And she was advising me to try out for a pro team. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do want to try out for Lakers. And she's like, my sister, my twin sister is the coach of the Boston Celtics. And, you know, I'm in high school and I'm just like, there's no chance I'm moving to Boston. No way. I want to do Lakers. You know, my mind's so set on one thing. Right. So Boston had, at the time, I'm not sure if they did it now, but pre-COVID, um, they did auditions in New York, Boston, and Los Angeles. So they kind of like plucked from like the um, cities. Yeah. Of the, you know, there's a lot of talented dancers. So I went to the LA auditions. It was like at Long Beach, um, one of the dance rooms. And it was like three of us. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And so I decided to do it as like practice for Laker girls. Because the year I graduated high school was the last time the Lakers had won a championship until recently, they just won the 2020 championship. So Mm -hmm. it was very popular audition. There was like hundreds and hundreds of girls showing up. So I knew I needed to like get my feet wet. Yeah. And so I used Boston as a practice, not even expecting anything. I made it to finals, which meant I had to go to Boston for like a week and it was nice. They put us up in a hotel and we got to like hang out with the girls from different cities And we made great bonds and, you know, we went to the rehearsals and stuff and then final auditions happened and my number was called and I was like, um, this wasn't a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm moving to Boston and I'll never forget calling my mom and it's like, I made it. And she was like, wait, so that means you have to move. And I was like, yep. (laughs) <laughs> 3,000 miles on the other side of the coast, mom. So you're like 19. fresh out of high school too. What? Like what? 19 I'm years a, old. I'm a baby. I was one of the youngest on the team. So I made the move to Boston and I was living out my dreams of dancing for a pro team. It did wasn't the Lakers yet, <laughs> but it was the Celtics, which in franchise history for the NBA is just as, you know, impressive. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, and having my coach be Marina Ortega was like a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. still have such a great relationship to this day. Um, she's always the person that I call whenever I feel like I need advice uh, pertaining to maybe auditions or maybe the pro world or just life mm-hmm. in general. Um, we do stay in touch. So, yeah. Yeah, that... I think you were a pro-action instructor too at one point. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would like assist um but I did do their virtual pad go uh they incorporated yeah. workouts so I was able to do that for them and it was a big hit with a lot of the college teams to keep you know their dance team members in shape and so they got really great feedback from that service which was a great move for them I mean the pandemic you had to get creative <laughs> absolutely. absolutely I thought that was super exciting when they launched pad go um so awesome so you're in Boston 19, living your dream out, cheering or dancing for the Celtics. Um, did you get homesick while you were out there? Or that's a long ways from home. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was so young. 
my perspective was so limited that like I I wasn't so present in that whole experience because I was really thinking about home I was really young I was a teenager practically still 19 yeah technically um but that was the year of the NBA lockout so I had to move to Boston that summer because they were anticipating the start of the season but then you know the lockdown happened and our season did not start until December, like close to Christmas time. Oh no. <laughs> so it was a little stressful because I was like, wow, I made this whole move. We didn't even know if there was going to be a season. So it was, it was quite a bummer, mm-hmm. but we hung on and it still ended up happening. And it was one of the seasons that was the most exciting. I think they made it to playoffs I think the second round of playoffs, and it was the last time the big three were together, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. That's what before they okay. all, Yeah, before with they all went their separate yeah. ways, yeah. And it was so such an exciting season once it started. We went into playoffs, and I got that exposure. Uh, and I think we got knocked out by the Heat, and that was the year that LeBron won his first ring. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so then you able, after that season, did you kind of make your mind up like, that's it. I've got the experience under my belt. I'm going to try to get back home to audition for Laker <laughs> girls. It's funny. So my pro career is very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> being very young on a team that was with, older not older but to me they're older it went from mm-hmm. 19 and it jumped to like 22 23 so that's like a pretty big gap and so it was a little tough it's not that I had a bad time with the team like I still don't stay in touch with my teammates it's just the maturity level of me mm-hmm. 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 and how to take this job seriously I was very immature emotionally and I, I didn't understand the professionalism that was required and so I kind of had to learn the hard way, which, you know, with anything, like, you're going to have growing pains. So I planned to stay in Boston for, like, at least four more years. I was like, dang, I moved all my stuff 3,000 miles away. Like, make it worth it. Right. So I I auditioned again. I actually did not make it again. I got Mm. cut. So this was the problem. Now looking back, 10 years later, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 10 years later. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I haven't thought about that in a while. So 10 years later, I, I was really young and very, um, I wasn't seasoned enough in the professionalism aspect, like I said. And also it started to get the wheels turning of like what it took to stay on a team. Those were hard lessons I had to learn because mm-hmm. my mindset at the time was like, Oh, I'm a talented dancer. Like I don't have to work hard and like train and like do the behind the scenes of like getting back on a team. I relied so heavily on my talent. So that's where it got me in trouble because I was unprepared. So I was thinking I can still do my ways when I was 16 years old in high school on the dance team where I don't need to practice that hard or I don't need to take my nutrition as serious. So this was a big reality check for me. In the Mm -hmm. moment, I couldn't put it together. 
But as my career progressed, I can now look back and be like, that's what happened. Yeah. It's hard to expect someone coming into like this world at 18, 19 years old to just have all of that figured out. I don't care how much research you do, like knowing what professionalism, Mm -hmm. it's not even like knowing what's expected of you. It's just like having the life experience and the time to just be an adult where you can kind of make sense of why that's important and what that means. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's asking a lot. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I've got to be honest with you, like I had to learn how to fail because Mm -hmm. at that moment in time, I got everything that I wanted from a Mm -hmm. dancing standpoint. Gotcha. I got every team. I was in the front for all the routines. I was captain, co-captain in high school. So I had to get a like mm-hmm. kick in the butt a little bit to kind of like really dig deep and redefine like who I was as a dancer and what who I was as a hard worker. Gotcha. So I, had, I had a stumble. So I, I went <laughs> back home. <laughs> <laughs> Going home is always a way to kind of like regroup, reset, you know, and being around like family and and just kind of getting your bearings. That's an impressive start to a career, obviously to move cross country, frankly, um, at that age, adulting for the first time and also having such a big commitment and responsibility of representing a brand and being on a team with mm-hmm. more mature people, women or older people. I mean, I always thought just in this space, that, like it would probably just benefit everybody if they just made the age like 21 or 25. Well, maybe not 25, sure. but 21. Just some were some of the yeah. things that you asked to do and like, you know, I mean, there's some obviously very mature 18, 19 year olds out there, but it's just, it's a lot to ask of anybody. I think um, as you're mm-hmm. in those formative years, like you said, the gap between 18 and 22, 23, it's, it's significant. It's a, in terms of, mm-hmm. it's a big jump. There's a lot that happens in terms of development during that time. Um, mm-hmm. But you do get back home, you audition for the Laker <laughs> girls. Did you make it on your first try? So before that, I actually mm-hmm. auditioned for San Diego Chargers. Oh, okay. So you were already thinking NFL back then. I was just like wanting to get on a team. And I I loved both. I loved both because I was so curious about NFL. I did not make the team. I would go to finals. um, You know, the director at the time, I believe was Lisa. I was very curious about NFL and I went to finals. I went all the way. And I just never got a spot on the team. And, you know, again, hindsight, reflecting on those moments of my career, I was just still so young. I was still so immature. I wasn't very developed. I think the look for San Diego Chargers, I wasn't it, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like, I was yeah. developed here on the yes, upper yeah. part of my body. <laughs> <laughs> the girls weren't in town just yet. <laughs> I just I was still so young and like my body just did not I didn't have any shape and like it just mm-hmm. I think it was more so the emotional capacity like the maturity level physically mm-hmm. and emotionally so Laker auditions come around and I had to reconcile with dance because of course in my narrow perspective of being I think I'm now 20 at this point I was like oh I can't believe I didn't make the team again, blah, 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 blah. But then I like switched my mindset. I was like, I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to practice. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to take dance classes. And I just was training so hard. Hard. Okay. And, And I went to the Laker auditions because NBA auditions are more in the summer. And I went into that audition understanding that I had no option. Like I was like, 
I need to make this team or else like I'm just going to be devastated. But then also part of me was like, just have fun. Yeah. It is a very stressful audition. Don't get me wrong. Um, you learn quickly and the turnaround to audition is quick. I remember mm -hmm. there was a routine that I was not sure on. And then my number was like one of the first ones called to come back and audition. I was mm -hmm. like, here, here we go. Oh and gosh. I somehow did it. My body, my muscle memory did it. And yeah, I ended up making the team. And that was probably one of my proudest moments of my career because it was the team that I grew up with. It was mm -hmm. my hometown. It was the Lakers, you know, this iconic team. And so I was over the moon and I felt so much redemption of like, you know, I really felt that blow of not making the Celtics again. And I was like, I don't even yeah. know if I'm doing Lakers, but here I am on the team. Awesome. I appreciate you walking through that journey. I know sometimes, and even asking that question, people are like, yeah, I did this, I did that. And it's just like, you know, you talk about it and you don't even absorb either the journey of getting there or just kind of like what the experience was like and how you even viewed it at the time, especially when you're like looking back on, and it goes, the years go by so fast, obviously, we're not going to even dwell on that number. Um, but you have two years with the Lakers. What made you decide to go out for the Rams? Unless you want to fill us in on something this that happened. This is also funny. No, I love this part of my story because it's, okay. it's there's a pattern. Um, <laughs> I didn't I did not make it my third time for Lakers. Okay. I tried out again. Um, did not make it my third time. I got cut right before finals. And there's like this third year curse that we all kind of joke about on Lakers. Oh, interesting. That like a lot of returners get cut that are going in for their third year. It's a thing. I don't know. It's, Anyways, mm -hmm. so I don't know if it still exists because um, obviously internally they've changed things. I didn't make the team and it was really devastating because I really loved dancing for the Lakers. But also there was a part of me that felt relieved because mm -hmm. it was difficult. The pressures that I had felt through my director. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, We could be candid about that, right? We can. This is the truth behind the palms. I mean, this is the reality of what these roles even mean and hold. Like, so, I mean, I always think of it as just, it's just the truth. And it's never about bad-mouthing anyone. There's different leadership styles. There's different expectations, some of which are, like, freaking insane. And some, you know, I mean, it's a safe space. Okay, great. Yeah. So yes. I'll just, I'll say it. I'll say it. Yeah. Um, I was not... Uh, too fond of the director at the time. Um, it was a tough position to be in. I think there was a lot of pressure and a lot of toxic, you know, mindset in the way mm -hmm. that they were managing. Uh, but I didn't realize that until a little bit later once I reflected on that part. And I remember, you know, having a phone call with her after she cut me. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was nice. It started out really nice where she was just, I'm so sorry. I, you know, you're always a part of Lakers family. And I was like, oh, like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then it ended with, you're just looking a little too thick. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So that was, that was really tough, but also kind of cemented of like, okay, I think it's time to move on from this organization. I did it. I checked it off my list. 
I had mm-hmm. amazing memories. I made great friends. This just means I need to move forward. So when this door closed, the Rams moved back to LA January of 2016. So then I was like, well, here's my opportunity to do NFL. This is what I've been waiting for. I've maxed out my teams for NBA. I mean, I don't think I would ever do Clippers because that's like, I don't know. It's just Lakers, Clippers. Like, we're Lakers. Healthy. No offense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. I think the Clippers dancers are phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. But right. just from, like, legacy standpoint, I was like, I just got to be true to my Lakers. Uh, right. So NFL was knocking at the door. And I had no idea if I would make it. I had no idea about football. And I went to auditions. And I made it. So I was on the second inaugural team of Los Angeles Rams (laughs) the second time the second time yeah Yeah. oh my goodness and then you had some pretty amazing obviously years there just being at the Super Bowl and gosh gosh, just that whole season I feel like the dancers were under I won't even say a microscope but there was just like a lot of national attention obviously because of Napoleon and Quentin joining the team and whatnot Mm -hmm. and then obviously going to the Super Bowl it was I remember just being like, dang, the Rams are just like, they're everywhere. And they're just, Mm -hmm. yeah, big moves. I think that was like, matter of fact, that was the year that uh, we launched the podcast. So just watching it all unfold, it had to be a very exciting time to be a part of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so our first season was kind of interesting. Um, You know, they're adjusting to the move. We had a different coach at the time, a head coach of the football team. Mm-hmm. And then the next season, they started making some power moves. They brought in a new head coach. He yeah. changed the dynamic for everybody on the football team. The team just changed in the way they played. We started seeing better games. And we just started building and building more as an organization. And the talent on our squad was just immense. I mean, we came yeah. from different backgrounds. There were some of my teammates I had danced with Lakers. We were together again. Some girls nice. were from Clippers. Some girls um, had done like indoor, like the arena stuff. Um, so it was just like a mesh of like all pros coming together. Nice. So we were very, we were very strong. And um, I've got to say that the Rams have, out of all my teams that I had danced for, like the Rams have, proved and showed more opportunity for me in a form of traveling in the form of like just the representation of the community of Los Angeles and stuff like that mm-hmm. at the time and we went to the Super Bowl we had an outstanding season um it was just that whole season we brought on Quentin and Napoleon yeah we introduced two the first two males of the NFR yeah, cheerleaders. I mean, I know there were like stunt men, and there was like this whole argument of like, no, 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 right. there were men before. Right, right, was, right. Like, those were like stunt guys. These guys are like on our sidelines doing the same dances as us. They're on the team. So right. that kicked off the season, and then we just had an incredible run, like an amazing standing of games, all these wins, and just like probably the most entertaining football I've ever witnessed which eventually got us to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and we lost, but, <laughs> but it was still the coolest yeah. experience. I'll never trade it for anything else. Win or lose. 
I went to the Super Bowl. And so did my parents. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's such an experience. And, uh, you know, having won one and lost a very painful one. I mean, their teams, not even just like the cheerleaders, just teams that never get to make a Super Bowl appearance. So we really do have to like, absorb the weight of actually being able to go I mean because it's not it's not easy to get to that point in the season there's so many and just everything that can go wrong unless and you're on the Patriots <laughs> at the time at the time yeah good gosh <laughs> their reign could just be over now I don't know if it's moving to Tampa Bay or whatever with consecutive <laughs> Super Bowl appearances like that but but yeah I mean it's a huge it's a huge deal and I loved I was watching and I remember like I would say for that particular Super Bowl I don't know what it was it just seemed like even more glamorous. Maybe it was just the social media that you guys had for the Rams where you kind of mm-hmm. got like more of a glimpse of all the stuff that you guys were involved in and doing all the appearances. Yeah. Like it was just like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys were everywhere. And I mean, I remember being I mean, lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous compared to like our Super Bowl. There were lots oh. of appearances and things to do, but like it just seemed like they were featuring the cheerleaders a lot more. And I don't know if that was kind of the hype of Napoleon and Quentin being on the team, but it was just like, wow, you don't have to like skimp and tramp to find the footage of where we were during that. Like you guys were front and center, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, it was, it was one great ride. Um, It was a lot of hard work, but it was so rewarding and things that I'll never forget. And, you know, it it was a combination of like the first two male cheerleaders in the Super Bowl. It was also like the turnaround that the Rams had made in like four years or something like that, three or four seasons um, of getting there. So it was it was a really exciting time for all of us and for Los Angeles to be, yeah. you know, Frank, like an NFL team coming back from like 20 years or whatever the timeline is. Mm-hmm. And then making this impression was like so big. Yeah, huge. So tell me about like even just this last season because you did cheer the, the Rona year. Um, you have this beautiful... <laughs> stadium that is I mean I drove past it when I was with my best friend Brittany we couldn't even get too close to take a peek at it but it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful stadium I remember watching the performances or just the footage behind the scenes Um, it just looked like such a tease to be in such a beautiful facility and not really be able to like uh, how did that feel I mean was it what it appeared to be where it's kind of like so close yet so far away in terms of like the performance aspect of it and feeling like you're a part of the season Absolutely. Um, so we were housed in the Coliseum, and that was kind of rough. <laughs> the Coliseum is historic, uh-huh. but also very old. old and yeah. it wasn't friendly to just modern day sports attending and what it's developed to be over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. So before a coronavirus came into play, I had taken a season off after we did the Super Bowl run. So I did not do 2019 season, but I came back and I was like, okay, I want to do this again. It's the perfect timing. It's the new stadium. I want to be in there because we had a rough it here. I need to be in there. I I heard that. (laughs) Exactly. So um, then COVID, you know, made its lovely appearance Mm -hmm. and just destroyed every everyone's hopes and dreams of 2020 and you know like time went on and we were like oh it'll be over by summer and then it's not and so we get kind of just like played it by ear I still tried out because I was like still holding out for hope of like we'll get to dance in the stadium 
And yeah. we did. We first danced outside of the gates and then they let us go in. But we were on like a concourse level above the football field just because we just it was so critical at that time in Los Angeles that we couldn't, you know, disrupt the ecosystem that the players and the staff had created for themselves. In terms, so of, testing. Under- in terms yeah. of testing and they had their own system going and not everybody was able to go even from the front office and majority mm-hmm. of the football staff um, coaches and stuff. So only like select people were able to even step foot on that field unless you were a football player. Gotcha. Um, I don't even, I don't even think like people that were um, on the bench were able to go out either. They were very limited. It was very strict. Was so very strict. Yeah. I think all of us were just so happy to even be able to like suit up, put on our uniforms and like dance with each yeah. other. We're, we're in the stadium. Right. Right. <laughs> We've seen it. We've gotten a tour of our locker room. So we've gotten to see this whole beautiful design and the whole, it's magnificent. It's so beautiful and it's state of the art. Yes. Incredible. And what they've done is going to just serve the fans and concerts and just, it's going to change entertainment. I mean, it's Los Angeles, like what other city, you know, (laughs) they have to be the ones to do it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, we were just happy. We were just happy yeah. with the opportunity and we were happy that we were able to do that and still have some sort of presence because a lot of teams had nothing. nothing. You know, like Charger Girls had nothing. Nothing, yeah. They didn't even bother to, like, have them do any community works. Like, they just were non-existent. And so we got pretty lucky. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, cases got really bad around mm. November, like, after Thanksgiving, the holidays and they had we shut down because we were essential everybody got pulled only the the guys got to play obviously because they make the world go round in that world so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh we still were able to do community events mostly virtual um but there were a few that i I was able to do in person there was actually one where i was able to go in the stadium for like eight hours and film just like for content to like promote the Mm -hmm. stadium for next year but we were tested it was like seven of us or something. And then like a bunch of extras, basically what they were doing was like emulating what a game day would look like. Would be like, Oh, cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So they were like, just recounting. We filmed one version with mask on. We filmed one version without mask on, but we were all protected. I mean, we were all tested thoroughly beforehand. So that was a really fun opportunity to like get a full look at the stadium. So yeah. Yeah. It looks freaking <laughs> fabulous. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to see if I can get my behind down there when the coast is clear. So it just looks so fab. I can't. Wow. There's no well, hot seat there. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Between that, my father's a huge Raiders fan. I know I have to get to their new stadium in Vegas mm-hmm. as well. Like, there's just some beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful stadiums popping up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could have like one little wish, it would be to just be able to travel to each stadium to see every dance team perform and yeah, yeah why not? needs to get it together uh, so that <laughs> that can hopefully happen. But cool. I mean, so when you were on the Rams, I understand you were a captain. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I was <laughs> wanting to just dig a little bit because I know um, just something that you shared, and we'll get into your podcast in a second. But just the 
additional responsibility when you have the role as captain on a team and, you know, without kind of giving too much away in terms of like your first episode of your podcast, but I've always been curious just from my standpoint, I was not a captain on the team, but seeing friends that took on that responsibility, sometimes they're so focused on the success of their squad and just trying to like make sure everybody looks good. They're trying to impress the director. They're trying to just try to please everybody and keep everybody together that, you know, they, they aren't able to care for themselves and prepare the way that they would normally prepare for games. I just am curious, like how you handled that responsibility while you were on the team. Yeah. So taking that captain role was such an honor for me um, Mm -hmm. because at this point in my dance career, I felt pretty seasoned with having Mm -hmm. two big NBA franchises under my belt. And I just felt really confident of where I was in my dance career. So it, it felt really natural for me for the leadership position. But like mm-hmm. you said, it, it is very difficult to take on that role. I mean, it seems it seems like nothing, but it's a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you have the pressures of like being the employee, right? And then there's now an added layer of like taking on this leadership position of like, making sure your line is functioning, making sure people are on time, like on their stuff, like knowing their choreography are prepared, you know, you're kind of like a mother hen type of situation. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of added stress to that. The element also that was really tough was like, sometimes it wasn't fun because I had to have hard conversations with some of my teammates because Mm, I was directed by maybe my coach to talk to them about something or maybe bring up something that was hard to talk about with them. Mm. So those were really hard because that kind of puts you in the bad guy position. Yeah. 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 And And these are your friends. Like, you know, you know, it's a conversation that always starts like, listen, like we're friends I love you. and I'm yeah. just in a tough position right now. Like I just have to do this because I've been told to do this, but this is what's going on. And so it's, it's tough. I mean, it was, it was difficult. I remember like a lot of people like being upset with me, but it was out of my control. Yeah. And also yeah. I remember, you know, feeling resistance from certain teammates for whatever reason, um, whether it was like, insecurities from their end or just like maybe they wanted the position it was a weird dynamic Um, but again like those those teammates didn't you know eventually come back after season after season I think those just kind of weed out themselves Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I handled it it was just like I just I just did my best to stay positive I mean I think that's so (laughs) simplistic to put but I just knew that like at my core I would do anything for my teammates of like support. And I always reminded them, like, I'm here for you. Like if anything, if you ever want to talk and, you know, with rookies, like they would freak out before games because it's crazy. It's a lot of, there's a lot going on. You don't want to mess up and you're on a big stage. And, you know, I would always talk them through and be like, listen, just have fun. Let's just have fun. I just always strive to like support and motivate, support and motivate. So that was just like my approach as a leader. Um, Mm -hmm. When things got hard, I would call Marina. Like she was my mentor. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, I would call her and bounce some ideas off her. You know, it was, it was really hard. And sometimes I would cry because I was so frustrated, you know, behind closed doors. But at the end of the day, like I had a job to do. 
and I was appointed this position for a reason. And I just had to like keep my eyes on the prize and keep moving forward and just like know that like if I don't do my job to the best of my ability, then like I fail everybody. Which is so extreme. Like you're not feeling yeah. anybody, but like yeah. you want to do your part. Cause when you do your part, then everybody is more inclined to do their part. You know, I, I just wanted to like bring my knowledge of the pro world to rookies and just be like, listen, all you need to do is just have fun, but work hard. But work hard. Yeah. 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 I mean, so- it's one of those things where it's like the whole team can function so much better if everybody just does their job like oh god I almost sound like what's his face from the Patriots just do your job <laughs> like his coaching style <laughs> that was but scary it's true it's true, it's kind um, of true though. like you can't if any one person just doesn't really hold up their end of the bargain it brings a whole team down and then it creates so many different ripples of you know now your captain has to be in a position to have to talk to you like if everybody just kind of does what they're supposed to do and um, like you said, has fun in the process or good to each other, then it can all just kind of go smoothly. But it, it definitely yeah. is a lot of extra responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever yeah. you're in a position of leadership, it's always a positive experience of being in that position. But then there's also like the downsides of like, you might now have a bigger target on your back. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. because you don't, you have a smaller room for error. I was about to say, they're all looking at that captain. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're telling me what to do, then, you you know, I better not see you, you screwing up. by example. Exactly. Example. exactly. Yeah. So, it's not the fairest burden because if you're so focused on everybody else's success, like, it's really hard to find that extra time to make sure that you're straight, you know, and exactly balancing yeah, all was, of that would yeah. be hard. Mm-hmm. But overall, like, I, I felt really honored to be in that position. And then, you know, fast forward to present day, I, I'm still friends with a lot of my former teammates that have moved on and they've reached out to me and they appreciated, you know, me being in that position because I was able to help shape their perspective as a rookie instead of like feeling fearful. I I, like kind of opened the door for them to like lean in and to like Mm -hmm. get the full experience that they can get. Because I was like, listen, if I knew this when I was a rookie on Celtics, like, I think I would still be in Boston. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's just me being like the wise veteran yeah. trying to like, listen, guys, it's going to be all right. You're going to be great. Just have a good time. And just if you practice, you can rely on that. If you're not prepared, mm-hmm. it's not going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just have our stuff together. So I appreciate you answering that. I was always just curious because I know that there's just a lot of pressure in this role in general. We can pivot to just your launching of your podcast and the focus on um, just mental health and well-being. And because I just know that this world can chip away at like any sense of sanity just for a million different reasons. But let's talk about Life Unfiltered and <laughs> what made you start the podcast? Kind of what was the inspiration so I started the podcast based on my own um, reckoning, I think, with mental mm-hmm. health. Um, I was faced with a lot of challenges at a point in my life that I I had to look in the mirror and redefine what mental health meant to me. And I had to get curious about my brain and my well-being. And so I'm in the fitness industry, so I had mastered mm-hmm 
the physical wellness aspect of just the general wellness of, of human beings. But I was faced with grappling, just being so misinformed about mental wellness. So I went through a set of struggles, like I had said, and I was on the team when we were going to the Super Bowl. And I was really, really struggling that season. But of course, like I was able to kind of pick and choose my struggles because I was like, I still have a job to do, you know? Yeah. yeah, I still need to show up. And um, we went to the Super Bowl and I just was very numb. Not because we were there or not because I wasn't happy with the Rams. It just internally I was struggling. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure it out. I feel like I was just like a walking zombie. I was still performing. I was still doing my work. Like I was happy, but not quite there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I was also like, you know, in my podcast, I talk about this. I was dealing with a long-term relationship that really was rooted in a lot of criticism and judgments of like my pro dance career, you know, every step that I took. So then it made me really unsure of the things that I was always so sure about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was just like a a culmination of things just stacking and stacking and stacking. And until I had a breaking point, um, I went to go see a therapist. I saw a professional and it changed my life. And I felt like people thought they knew who I was based off of my Instagram because we had an exciting year with the Rams. So I was like traveling. I was posting all the great things on my Instagram. So it was very centered, right? So I was curating it to show that I was living life and I was happy and positive yeah. and blah, blah, blah. When in reality, I was so dead inside and I hated myself, which is so aggressive, but that's where I was in that point in my life. And mm-hmm. I went through the healing I went through therapy and it like it just changed my life. Like I said, it opened up this whole world of perspective that I needed to heal, forgive, and kind of let go a lot of guilt and shame that I had carried for a really long time, you know, stemming from like my early beginnings of life and stuff like that. And I remember having a conversation with someone that I trusted wholeheartedly. And the most powerful thing this person did for me was embrace me with relativity and saying in saying like I've been through something like this and then it clicked in me where I was like oh my god I'm not alone yeah yeah (laughs) we live in such a bubble of our own lives that we think when things happen to us we feel so alone or it seems so shameful for me to talk about it yeah yeah really embarrassed and so I was so empowered through this person simply saying like I've been there like I know what you're talking about and so it clicked in my head where I was like why don't we talk about this you know Mm -hmm. why don't we have candid conversations about our mental well-being as human beings so the whole basis of the podcast is taking people off of Instagram taking the filters away taking off Mm -hmm. like the perfectly curated captions that are witty and funny and just really stripping it down to their core of like, who are you? And Mm -hmm. some people that I've interviewed so far have like incredible stories of heartbreak and hardships and failures and triumphs. And 
just to kind of highlight and, you know, present that just because this person looks like they're killing it in their career and living life doesn't mean that they are immune to hardship. Yeah. I think with this new generation of like these TikTokers and like the Gen Z, um, I think that they're so impressionable and I don't think they are able to like differentiate those two worlds. So mm. it's just, you know, not just for Gen Z, but in, and everyone that feels ashamed to talk about their own struggles. or just want to like normalize it through conversations with people that have struggled that you may not even expect by looking yeah. at Instagram feed, you know, so life unfiltered, just not unfiltered. Like we're out here, like being, uh, you know, inappropriate with language yeah. or something, but yeah. <laughs> unfiltered in the sense of like, there's a digital version of you. And then there's the realistic version of you. We mm-hmm. want that, that real raw version of you to just like, <laughs> help support people in their stories, give them a voice, feel relative, feel understood. And like, I think I talk about this on my episode of the most painful thing to to think that people live sometimes whole lives without ever being seen or ever being heard. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very painful to carry as a human being. And I hope mental health, keeps going on the path that it's going where we're more aware of it. We're talking more about it. We're scratching the surface. And I just hope that it can create so much more invitation to healing and like Mm -hmm. normalization of talking about very hard things that I think people need to talk about. It's so true. (laughs) It's great because, um, you know, I really wanted to share with, you know, the listeners of this podcast that just in my, my experience in listening to your first episode, and I don't want to give it away. I really want you guys to go check it out, but (laughs) I just thought there's just so much beauty in being vulnerable. And I just remember just listening and feeling like I could feel the emotion, even in just talking about um, what you shared. And you were just so transparent with just the mistakes that sometimes you make either in relationships or just in your life that in the moment that you, um, that it happens, you just, you feel, you're just like over, it's almost just like a big boulder, just like completely just plops on you and plushes you down below the earth. Kind of like you, it feels so heavy, the weight of that mistake. And I mean, I instantly identified with just those moments in my life where I felt that broken, like, cause you just feel like, whatever you've done is just so unforgivable and so terrible and that everybody's looking at you a certain way and you can't recover from it. And you're literally shattered in a bunch of pieces. And I just thought it was really, I don't even know what the right word is, but just that you were able to kind of talk through the steps and putting that all back together. And from just even the decision to get help, because I think sometimes it isolates you. I think when you go through certain things, you're just kind of like, okay, I got to get my shit together. I'm going to figure it out or I'm an autopilot and I'm just going to try to get through it. And you don't really um, get the support that you need maybe to do it. But I just really appreciate it that you um, just in that episode, kind of just in such a comprehensive, full way, gave everybody a glimpse into what that is like, because somebody's going to hear that and identify with it. And it will help in the healing and just the understanding that you're human and you're going to have situations that 
maybe test who you are, push you to figure out who you are, and maybe just having those conversations with a, you know, with a therapist that gets you doing the work to sort through all of that. I mean, and you guys, for the record, your boyfriend, it's Kevin, right? Yeah. That is, yes, but <laughs> I thought it was so, so cute and just great that he kind of sat in your role in this episode to interview you and kind of talk you through that story in such a beautiful, caring, compassionate way. And, you know, he's like, I'm not on the podcast, but just being willing to step into that role so that to allow you to tell your story because he was there with you and um, knows who you are. I just thought it was a beautiful first episode and I'm excited to see more and listen more. Um, I just thought it was just beautiful. I think that too was like the extra element of it that I was just so like <laughs> drawn into because he was just very careful with you and just allowing you to tell your story and being supportive in it and too. So tell him I said that he did a great job, um, obviously just <laughs> in that episode, obviously being in your life as a partner to just um, be your, be a friend. Like at the end of the day, just we need support in getting through those tough times. And I'm very happy that you launched the podcast. Now I'm talking a lot, but I just wanted to say no, like- No, thank you. I appreciate I will for sure tell him he will love that validation. He <laughs> is not a big camera recording guy. He gets the sweats. Like he's just like, I don't do this. This is your job. You do this well. Uh, but yeah, I'm really grateful for him. He is actually the one that pushed me a little bit more to be like, you should share this. Like, don't be ashamed of this. He's like, but of course, like, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But right. I pitched him this idea like two years ago and he was like, I love it. I think more people, because he had gone through therapy like years ago. Um, he went through like a big breakup too and a big move from San Francisco to LA. And so that's the thing. I, I also wanted to kind of portray that therapy, it doesn't, necessarily mean a sign of weakness yeah. and that was like my own interpretation of it like unfairly but once I was faced with such so much like surrender of like yeah. okay I need to change I cannot live this way anymore it was such a healing process because you go to someone that has no skin in the game doesn't know mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day, and is able to just sort through your mess productively and give you tools to cope that you may have never acquired before. So I just wanted people to know that therapy, it doesn't mean you have to have a mental illness. Mental illness is something it's obviously it's devastating, but mm -hmm. it's also a tool to like widen your mind and your perspective and sharpen your brain and get curious about yeah. who you are. And, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be like when you know, stuff hits the fan. Because I will say like the part that sometimes makes therapy seem overwhelming is just kind of like, gosh, what's this first session like where you got to, you know, how do you like <laughs> catch somebody up to speed? Like, this is who I am. This is what's going on. Like, oh, where yeah. Do you I went, yeah it, <laughs> I talked about that on the uh, uh, first episode, I believe. I think that made the cut. I was just like, <laughs> what do we talk about? <laughs> what do we do? I don't know. Hi, yeah. I'm Jen. Like, where do we go from here? But um. You know, I just don't want people to be fearful of being on the other side because on the other side of like the healing and the change and the widening your perspective is so much of a better perspective and happiness of life. You're able to be more fulfilled in your mindset because when we harbor such negative feelings like anger, 
Um, but anger is just kind of a mask. Anger is actually like sadness or stress or devastation. Anger is always masked by that. Um, mm-hmm. So when we harbor those things, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of poisons parts of our life and it, it defines our life, actually. So to make peace with those things, like I advocate a thousand percent, you know, whether you go for like a year or six months or you try it out and it's not for you, that's okay. But it's yeah. something that I, I think everybody needs it, whether or not you've mm-hmm. been, you don't have to go through something crazy. Like I said, it's just it was just a powerful resource. Um, if you're very invested in yourself and you want to take yourself serious in the sense of like mindset. Yeah. I'm just think sharing, like I said, so openly kind of like of your journey through what you experienced as well as like how you pieced everything back together and how it's enriched your life. I just think it is inspiring for people. Um, I mean, I've been obsessed lately. My friend put me onto couples therapy and it was really on Showtime. God dang it. I'm like, (laughs) I'm obsessed. I'm so, I need to stop. I haven't even more. He was hooked. Oh my gosh. (gasps) I have like, I've been, I don't even really watch TV and I don't typically binge. Like I just struggle sitting in front of a TV, but dang it. I did binge the heck out of that first season. Um, the COVID special they had, I mean, it's just, wow. And I mean, I just can't say enough. And I had tried therapy before, I definitely felt somewhat overwhelmed by just, like I said, just the the start of it because it wasn't like a specific problem. It was just kind of more curiosity and like, let me see how this goes. But I was Mm -hmm. just, I was practicing law at the time. I was so stressed and I just felt like I'm just talking about what I already know out loud. Like I'm stressed out, Mm -hmm. I'm overworked. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I don't know if I really need to spend time telling this person, like I didn't give it enough of a chance probably. Um, but yeah, watching you probably weren't ready mentally at that point yeah. in your life for like true, honest change, not saying that yeah. you needed to like make a drastic change, but like when you're faced with something or whatever, there's a level of like being okay with like, okay, I'm ready to be honest about myself because yeah. we're so fear. All of us are so fearful of change. We're creatures of habit by nature. Well, you just feel like you have to keep going too. Like, it's like, I can't just stop everything. And like, you're, I think Kevin must've made the comment of like, or the analogy of cleaning out a very cluttered basement or a garage mm-hmm. or something. And in yeah. order to do a good job of cleaning up, you got to like take everything out of the box, look through everything, sort through it, organize it, prioritize what mm-hmm. you're going to keep, what you're going to let go of. It was a and then it gets messier analogy. before it gets organized. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was a perfect analogy. And I think it might just and I don't know if I'm treating this like a therapy session, but at the time, I know I felt like with what I had going on at the time, I did not have the capacity to unbox everything. It was like, I have to kind of keep my shit together because like I have to keep functioning. And I just felt like that process yeah. was something I wasn't really ready or equipped to yeah. handle at the time. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's something, yeah. it's a very honest journey and exposure RS in terms of just like putting it all out there. Um, Mm-hmm. but healing and it's worth it at the end of the absolutely. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I love how we just gave the teaser of it because it's such a great episode and I want people to hear it in full. So we're going to cruise off of the topic just because I want people to check it out. <laughs> Tell us about like when you launch episodes and kind of like what people can look forward to for your first season. So I, uh, launch every episode on Wednesday. So it's weekly. It's one episode for now. 
It's a lot of work, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> as yes. you know, um, but you know, you're going to see episodes of people from different walks of life. I mean, obviously right now I'm starting within like my inner circle of friends that I think mm-hmm. have really moving stories. Some of them are in the fitness industry with me, fitness models or, um, are athletes from college, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, were riddled with such great injury that they couldn't go pro and they, they would have so gone pro. But again, like one of my guy friends like broke both feet when he went <gasps> to University of Montana to play football. So yeah, you're going to hear Kevin has, is going to have an episode. He had a very, oh, yay. Okay, I'm like a fan of Kevin. Yay, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> team Kevin. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He a surfing accident that, um, he almost, he was supposed to die from, but he somehow survived and it wow. about the side of his face. So actually half of his face is reconstructed. You just can't really tell. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So you're going to hear from Kevin. You're going to get to know him on a better level. He won't be as stressed because I'll be the host. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it, you're actually also going to hear from my dad. Uh, we're going to talk about immigration. Uh, he came to the States illegally uh in the 80s from El Salvador but got his papers pretty quickly I think at the time it was mm-hmm. a lot uh easier to get your papers than now I think you wait a really long time but his journey to the states is crazy story I mean he's he's the epitome of like the American dream of you know the definition so mm-hmm. I think it's important for me and him to like share his story and I think immigration is such a hot topic you know I'm not trying to yeah. get political but yeah, you're, you're just going to hear stories. It's always going back to mental health of like, how are you being resilient and persevering? And how did you get to that mindset to pick yourself back up and to keep going and to keep your eyes on the prize, you know, and mm-hmm. you maybe mm-hmm. knock down three times, but like you'll get up four type of thing. Um, this mm-hmm. next, this week's episode is whew, this one. You're going to need tissues on this one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> My friend Nikki went through such great loss three different times in a span of two months. Uh, Yeah, I won't give I won't give too much away, but uh, have some tissues. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Well, seriously, I'm I'm a fan of the podcast already, and again, I just think all these conversations. It's a connection. It's a form of connection, right? To be able to hear anyone's story. I mean, that's I think why I'm doing what I'm doing in the same space. I just get excited about people's stories. I love hearing, you know, what they've gone through, what they've been through, how they think about things, their perspective, and mm-hmm. each story. I think you take something away from it that sticks with you, and so just super excited. Um, I want everybody to go check it out. Obviously, all of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, go take a listen. Go listen. <laughs> definitely um, okay. I really appreciate you joining. I do have like a little segment, and I know it's getting late, so I will keep it brief, but I'm going to drop it like it's hot with you and give you some rapid fire questions if you're down. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, I'm kidding. I added a couple extra. Go for it. Listen, I'm I'm all yours. First thing that comes to mind, what is the greatest piece of advice you've taken during your dance career? Greatest piece of advice I've taken during my dance career is to always work hard, even on a team. If you could go on tour as a backup dancer, which artist would you choose? Um, J-Lo, a thousand percent. Oh, okay. I went to her concert 
and it was unbelievable. She's Just from an entertainment standpoint. Entertainment. You got to give it to her. Anybody, I mean, you know, people can go on and on about her singing and this, that, and the third, but she puts on a show, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For two hours straight. I was impressed. Yeah. Okay. I like it. What personality <laughs> trait has gotten you in the most trouble? <laughs> maybe being too honest. Okay. Too sharp, maybe. I've refined it over the years. <laughs> You're a truth sayer. Okay. Uh, what actress would play you in your biopic? Selma Hayek. Ah, I see it. Okay, first of all, you guys, you're just absolutely stunning and gorgeous. I absolutely oh, see you. Selma. I can see that. It's been my doppelganger uh, for as long as people have mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Now I'm like staring at you like, okay, no. no. But uh, <laughs> where's your favorite place to travel? Oh, man. Um, I've traveled to Italy before, the Amalfi Coast. And I always say that when this question comes up, because it was the most beautiful place that I have been to so far. Okay. But if I had to choose a consistent place, I'd say Hawaii. Oh, yeah. I have never been, but I need, and it's ridiculous. I need to go. But it, trust me, I was it. the same. I've yeah. never been, but I went three times in one year. Oh, because you just could yeah. Yeah, I went from not ever going, and then I just went three times in a year. It's <laughs> <laughs> by, by chance, by chance, though. <laughs> well, it is right here makes no sense at this point. I'm like, I live in Seattle. Everybody goes like, I don't know what I'm waiting for. So it's coming. <laughs> what was your favorite childhood TV show? Oh my God. Um, so many. Barney. <laughs> 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 so much so that I had a Barney cardigan. Stop playing. Okay. I when you submit it. pictures for content, if you want to share that one, um, Oh, my sister will gladly send that to me in a heartbeat. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know what's funny? I mean, I've babysat a lot with kids, but so I'm watching a lot of these children's shows. But it's funny, back in the day when Selena Gomez was on there, I remember looking at that little girl and being like, she's got like that it factor. Like, Mm. you'd be surprised who was on Barney back in the day. Um, But I remember seeing her way back when as a little kid. And I was just like, she just had that little twinkle, that little star quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't love watching Barney, but she made it tolerable uh, while I was babysitting oh, kids man. back in the day. Barney okay. was the man. Like, my friend <laughs> loved it. Cardigan wearing Barney freak over here. I freaking love it. Okay. Oh, man. How would we even have known? Um, well, let's see. I'll say this one for last. Let me ask a couple more. Would you rather climb a mountain or jump from a plane? I've already jumped out of a plane, so I guess I'll climb a mountain. <laughs> did you, did you promo with? Oh my God! No, I'm no, to- no, no! Okay. I didn't do that promo. So it's actually has to do with auditions. So my best okay. friend is born on St. Patrick's Day, and mm-hmm. my second year of Rams, we decided to do skydiving for her birthday, and I was like, great! I'm afraid of heights and but we're gonna do it and i'm gonna face my fears and of course i was the first one to jump how did that happen i don't know but it happened it was in santa barbara so it was really beautiful and i've got to say the scariest part was the plane ride up because of the anticipation you're like looking out the window you're like oh my god we're so high right now but jumping out 
you don't get that like stomach feeling, you know, where it's like almost like your stomach goes into your throat with like a dropping feeling. You don't get that at all, which I was really shocked by. But with auditions, I had to audition the next day. Preliminaries were the next day. <laughs> oh, you are brave. Oh my gosh. There's no way I would have <laughs> had the courage to, to do it, period, probably. And then to do it the day before auditions. Were you freaking out? Like, what if I break something or I don't know? I mean, listen, yes. I mean, I was just like, if I die, then like, well, there's that. And then there's also <laughs> the element of like, if I get hurt, well, then there it goes. Um, but, you know, I just, I trusted them. I mean, the, the amount of accidents versus the amount of non-accidents is very, it's very rare. Very, very rare. rare. So, um, but yeah. I'd rather climb a mountain because I already jumped out of a plane. Or maybe I'll do it again. I don't know. <laughs> very, very brave. Um, if you were the eighth dwarf, what would your name be? I'm always laughing for no reason sometimes. <laughs> maybe inappropriately at times that I shouldn't be giggling. So I'd be like Giggles or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's my dog's name, Giggles. <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say grumpy, but then I was like, with the 30 taken, so. <laughs> Giggles are grumpy. I like that. Okay, a couple more. <laughs> what was the worst job you've ever had? Oh, my God. Um, I had to, oh, this sounds so terrible, but this was an actual pretty bad job. I've been lucky to not have terrible jobs, but if I had to choose, it'd be this one. I was uh, working for the after-school program for LAUSD. I think it's called okay. like Beyond the Bell or something. And I was assigned to this middle school to take over their dance drill program, which eventually turned out to be more of just like a babysitting thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it was terrible in the way that I was like so passionate about dance, obviously. And I wanted to influence these girls to like, partake in an after school program um but it, it very quickly turned into me babysitting tracking them down finding them with their boyfriends mind you they're middle school so <laughs> I think the worst part that cements like the worst part of it was um just the lack of support and understanding from like the whole administration yeah that was rough I was bullied by like some middle schoolers just like just Oh, man. Sorry, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm just, <laughs> no, that, is such a, funny. that is such a tough age. And like, people are like, oh, work with kids. And I love working with kids, but I know there's a certain age range yeah, that's not my, not my jam. And middle school is age. age. Yeah, I can I, imagine. I learned quickly. Learned quickly. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back and work with these kids again. <laughs> Respectfully. Hey, I like, yeah. Respectfully, but I don't know. No, but there's like maybe elementary school, there's still time. You could still mold and shape. They're really receptive, more or less. Uh, middle school, they reach a different space. And Ooh, yeah. good luck with that when you're really trying to influence um, the masses because they may yeah. not be now with the program, uh, especially an after school program that they probably didn't even want to do in the first place. So I, I get you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, gosh, I have too many questions here. I kind of want to ask them, but I don't want to. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. Go, All go, right. Go. What, if anything, would you change about the pro-cheer industry? 
what would I change? Mm-hmm. Well, you got the magic wand. <laughs> you could do anything, make any improvement whatsoever. What would it be? I would change a few things naturally. Um, <laughs> one, I would change how people perceived the pro world or, or currently perceive the pro world. I would mm-hmm. also change more of the opportunities. Um, I know every organization is different, whether it's like the market uh, that they're in versus like the city and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely would change maybe a sense of like a unionization of like all getting us to the same level of pay and respect and recognition um, mm-hmm. because like I said, some teams are in a bigger market, so they have that luxury to have more versus like a smaller city team doesn't necessarily have the access to those resources. So if I had a magic wand, yeah, I would like level it out. So like as an organization of like pro cheer and pro dance, like we all would get the same pay, get the same opportunity, access to like great uniforms and just stuff like that um mm-hmm. in a perfect mm-hmm. world yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, I just decided I was throwing that question in there because I know there was a lot last week with when I launched the season and it's like I want to start hearing from people like what would you do differently if you could like run the world here like what would we really want to see and I think that's those are great answers just eat I think like you said equal playing field where we all benefit because everybody would everybody would win if we all kind of like exactly. had the same, same pay, same mm-hmm. opportunities. Looking back on your pro cheer experience, is there anything that you would have done differently? You know, no. I no. think what we've talked about, mm-hmm. I, um, I had to learn how to fail and I had to learn how to accept rejection and failure. Mm-hmm. And without it, I don't think I'd be the dancer in the seasoned veteran that I am today with that Mm -hmm. perspective of like you know finding the gratitude with it because I've had it taken away from me twice of not making the team and then the third time of me actually stepping back because I had to like help myself internally Mm -hmm. um it those you know negative impacts actually molded me to like thrive and relish in all those moments of like the magic that being a pro brings so I don't yeah. think change it no. okay no it totally makes sense based on what we've all what we've talked about it's like I'm pretty happy with like my journey I think I was able to do everything I wanted to do but like I had to stumble along the way <laughs> yeah yeah well it's never really life is just never this straight path like you have different no. things and goals that you want to achieve and set out to do mm-hmm. And you think mm-hmm. like, I've done this, I've done that, I've prepared, everything should just go this way. And it just doesn't work that way. And you may still end up there, but it's like a windier road than what you would exactly. think. And this the journey. Two steps forward, one step back, one step to the side. Like it's just, yep. that's the yep. beauty of it though. It, it, exactly. it builds character. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, last question. Um, what was one positive aspect that you took away from, learned from, gained from just the whole quarantine pandemic Rona situation. I'm trying to have some positive little spins on this whole scenario <laughs> that threw everything off last year. You know, I was able to, I think this is a common answer for some people was like slow down and mm-hmm. rest. Um, whether it was, I mean, obviously there was so much going on and chaos in the world with like 
political standpoints and just social mm-hmm. injustices. Um, and then on top of like a deadly virus, I was taking the lives of so many people. I think it was an opportunity to rest, slow down, like unplug, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of really reevaluate and, and take inventory of your life, whether it's like your relationships, your friendships, your career. Um, it was an opportunity to like step out of the bubble for a second and like, mm-hmm. okay, assess. For me, it was nice also to challenge myself with my business to take it virtual. That was something mm-hmm. I didn't explore. Yeah, because I was, I've always been like, had the luxury of like having the gym accessible and then having my clients. So I was challenged with like, okay, how can I adapt to this change? And I had to still pay the bills, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I challenged myself and I was um, present, pleasantly surprised with the turnout of like going virtual. Um, so that was something that I had explored and I felt really accomplished in luckily. Mm-hmm. And, and then the last answer of just like, I got to spend more time with family especially Kevin's family, we were able to go up to Carmel more times than he would in a whole year of like a regular pre-COVID season type of thing. (laughs) Um, So we were able to like, that was like our escape. (laughs) Yeah, at least you had a different place to go. You needed like a, your home environment that you see and you're trapped in more or less. And then just Mm -hmm. like a safe space uh, to be able to to get away and and it's great that you're you know if you're able to spend time with family too but like you said the slowdown and just the value that you place on those relationships that you're able to still pour into whether you're establishing that virtually just to be able to stay connected to people it makes you appreciate those aspects of life For so sure. much more yeah. Yeah. I was like I'm going to try to pull some positives from just how people grew because I think you know not to say that everybody needs to accomplish something or come out of this, like having achieved some major thing, but we have to kind of pat ourselves on the back for just trying to shift our mindset to, to adapting, like you said, and to kind of moving forward and surviving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Jen, seriously, I am so happy that I got to meet you, that you, thank you, Emily, for tagging Jen. um, When I asked about (laughs) this season, um, it's just been such a pleasure and I'm so excited for Life Unfiltered and we'll be listening. And seriously, I'm so thankful for your time this evening and appreciate you joining. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy that I was able to be a part of it. Um, and big thank you for an appreciation for you to even support my podcast and listen. And I feel like sometimes when people are in the same space uh, or creativity space, they're very like anti, like supportive, yeah, yeah like closed <laughs> off. So like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, I mean, I I'm so happy that you love it because it yeah. makes me feel good. That I'm like, okay, then it's not that terrible. <laughs> I know in the very beginning you feel like, oh my god, I'm talking to myself. Uh, who is even listening? Why am I doing this? There'd be so many points of just like, but you're doing, you're being led to do this for a reason. And it is a lot of work and you'll, you'll sort through it, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. I just think more voices, more stories, more room for healing, more room for connection. I'm all, I'm here for it all. So keep doing what you're doing and uh, tag me when you post stuff, spreading good news, spreading good information is what life's about. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.